But for Joseph, it already feels like years too late. Too much waiting. Too long. What are you doing? And the only way that Joseph will get through this is if he believes in the face of people who have forgotten him, circumstances that have let him down, will he choose to believe that God still remembers him? Because God does remember him, he just doesn't feel like it right now. Well, we're in a series in the life of Joseph right now called God at Work When We Can't See Him. And what we've been saying is that we recognize that we follow an invisible God and we are called to walk by faith, not by sight. But that can create problems for us because we don't always understand what God's doing. We can't see where he is at work. And what scripture does is not spell out all of the details, but it gives us principles to help us understand and anticipate his working in those times when, frankly, life doesn't make sense. Uh, This morning, we're talking about trusting God when people let you down. Now, you would think someone like Christy Brinkley wouldn't have to deal with the regular disappointments that normal people face. Uh, She was the superstar uh, model of the 80s and 90s. She was the face of CoverGirl for 25 years, appeared on over 500 magazine covers. You would think someone like that's not going to have any problem in her relationships. Uh, but after eight years of marriage to a French artist, she married Billy Joel in 1985. And at first, she said they were madly in love. But nine years later, they divorced. That same year, she married a real estate developer. And she was so excited about uh, her relationship with him that she actually named uh, her perfume that came out uh, after husband number three. She uh, she named that perfume Believe because she said, I realize I still believe in love. Unfortunately, that marriage ended uh, less than a year later. Uh, And... Marriage number four, unfortunately, didn't go much better. Uh, When she learned that her fourth husband was having an affair with his 18-year-old assistant, she said, I'm done. I've I've had it. I give up. And she was maybe not very uh, sensitively asked by an interviewer, if you were now to name a, a perfume after your feelings with regard to marriage, what would you name that perfume? And she said, stinks. Uh, uh, that, is my, that, that is how I'm feeling right now about my experience and my, uh, what, what marriage has meant to me. It stinks. Now, some of you have experienced some of the pain of disappointment in life. Disappointment where people have let you down. Disappointment, perhaps, where circumstances have let you down. At times in life where you have been waiting on people, waiting on uh, life to change, waiting on God to come through, and in those times we want to know not only what is God doing, but how do we respond? How do we press forward and how are we to 
process all that we are facing. Today's passage gives us uh, in Joseph someone who has been brought through those toughest of toughest times of waiting, times of disappointment, and he gives us a, a roadmap to face them. And frankly, he offers uh, some, some hope in the midst of those circumstances. So I want to encourage you to turn with me, if you would, uh, to Genesis chapter 40. And if you'd have that in front of you, it's on, uh, there's some black church Bibles on, on the rack under the seat in front of you. There it's on page 31. And I'm going to read uh, for the first eight verses for you. Genesis 40, verses 1 to 8. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against the Lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. And one night they both dreamed, the cupbearer, and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dreamed with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers, who were with him in custody in his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, we have had dreams, and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. This is the word of God. Now, the last time we left Joseph, we saw him in the pit again. He had been imprisoned. It's the, same, it's the second time in as many chapters as he has found himself uh, being uh, brought down, being dumped into the pit uh, in the worst of, uh, of circumstances. Uh, we saw last time how God, uh, God's presence with him and Joseph learning to treasure the presence of God in the midst of difficult circumstances, we saw how that uh, enabled him to resist, resist sexual temptation. Here, he's falsely accused, put in prison, and he has perhaps an even greater test. He has the temptation that comes when we're forced to wait. Now, when the story begins, we, we get a picture of this. We are we are reminded that this is the challenge that Joseph is facing by the way the story is told. Uh, right in verse 1, we get this reminder of passing time. It just says, some time after this. But we know that for Joseph, it's some time that is spent in prison. Some time where his uh, innocence is disregarded and he is treated unjustly. Time passes. Then in verse 4, after introducing the Pharaoh's cupbearer and baker, and the fact that Joseph is waiting on them, even though he is a prisoner like they are, it says they continued for some time in custody. We are to picture one day after another, after another, passing, time going on, and there's no relief. There is no resolution. There's no justice. When we're forced to wait, it feels often like we're the only ones who are doing the waiting. It feels like a unique problem that has only ever affected us. And yet it's a huge theme of scripture. 
Joseph will have to wait 13 years to go from the pit to the palace. Uh, the Israelites will have to be 400 years in, in uh, Egypt. Then they will be 40 years getting to the promised land. When Israel is exiled to Babylon, they will be another 70 years waiting, waiting. And we've just recognized this is a, a part of our lives, but it's also a part of God's purposes for us. We all have to wait, but in a sense, this is a special challenge for missionaries. Uh, we have actually invited Ovidu and Liliana all the way from Montreal so I could preach a sermon to them on, on waiting, on the, on the challenges that come with missionary life, because unless they are very unique and very special... Uh, their, their ministry, as godly as they are, as equipped as they are, their ministry will involve times of waiting, times of frustration, times of disappointment, times where people will let them down, where they will invest their lives in people, and things will not go according to plan. And we are all faced with those kinds of challenges, and we... We want to know God's heart, God's plan, and God's purposes for us in the midst of those times. Those are the conditions that are, 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 are facing Joseph. That those are the kinds of feelings that he is dealing with here. He shows us how to entrust your waiting to the Lord. Take a look at verses 6 and 7. It says, when Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? Maybe that feels like an unremarkable statement, but for me, it's incredible. In verse 1, we're told that the cup, baker and the ba the, the cup bearer and the baker committed an offense against Pharaoh. They've done something wrong. They deserve to be there. Now, they're both responsible for Pharaoh's food, so maybe there has been a, uh, a, a botched poisoning. Maybe he has gotten sick after a meal. We're, we're not exactly told, but we're told they committed some, something that landed them up in prison. And we know Joseph didn't do anything. He did what was right and landed in prison beside them. Then there are the conditions themselves. Everybody is in prison, right? The cupbearer and the baker are there in the royal prison, but they got to sleep in while Joseph's up getting their breakfast for them. If, if you put yourself in his shoes, he's innocent, he's serving these people who are guilty, you would think that he would be, uh, he would be the one feeling sorry for himself, and yet when he sees that their faces are downcast, Instead of saying, what on earth do you guys have to, have to, to be sad about? I'm the one who, who should be getting the special treatment here. Instead, he leans in. He listens. He, he wants to understand uh, what their needs are, what their troubles are. He shows compassion. He shows care. And it's one of the questions that, that, that we are always faced with in those times of waiting. It's one of the, the things that we are... Our, our call to do, frankly, and it, it's one of the tests that we face. The question is, when you don't feel blessed, will you still be a blessing? 
It's a question that Joseph was faced with when he was down there in the pit because he had gotten a promise. He had gotten a dream about how he could make a difference in this world. He was told of uh, the, the, the great plan that God, have, God had for him. And he knew the promise that was given to Abraham. The promise to Abraham was that he would make him a blessing and he would make his descendants a blessing so that they might be a blessing to others. Joseph faced that question of, 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 of how he would respond to this situation. It would have been very easy for him to say, well, maybe when I feel more blessed, then I'll worry about blessing other people. Maybe, maybe when, when things are kind of working out for me and maybe when I'm out of here and I'm having a good life and good times and good circumstances, then I'll worry about other people. But he realized, I can bless people in, in a prison as easily as I can bless people in a palace. I think the assignment starts here. I think I can do something now. And so he leaned into the people around him. He looked for needs. He sought to respond. He sought to be a channel of God's grace. Interestingly, God gives the same direction to the Jews who were sent into exile in Babylon. Jeremiah 29.7 says, But seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Now notice he's not telling them to go on welfare. He's telling them to seek the welfare of the city. And in doing so, he's using, uh, the, the word for welfare here is actually the Hebrew word shalom. Uh, the word is, is, speaks of peace, blessing, abundance. And those aren't the kinds of things that you are normally thinking on your mind when you're being carried off as a prisoner of war to a pagan land. I'm going to, wow, I, I've just been conquered by another people. I'm being carried off as a prisoner. I wonder how I can bless them. I wonder what good that I can do in Babylon. That, that's not how people typically think. And yet God says, that's actually the assignment. That, that's what I've called you to do. I bless you and you bless the nations uh, that, and the people that God places around you. And as you recognize that, you recognize maybe this morning your life is feeling a little bit like exile. Maybe you're feeling, uh, hey, I'm not in a prison, but I'm not feeling like I'm on top of the world. I can't really feel like I'm blessed right now. I kind of feel like I'm getting the short end of the stick. And God says, I have still given you the capacity to bless the people around you. I have still given you grace to be grace to the people in your world. And so you are, and I are called to minister, to serve, to recognize needs, to respond to the people around us. And I don't know what that means personally in your lives. I know as a congregation that... In a church our size, uh, there, I, I, think, I, I think I counted this morning, as I looked at the, the, uh, uh, the announcements, 
we, for the third week in a row, we posted that there are five positions missing in the nursery schedule. People to serve just once a month uh, to, to serve uh, some, some babies in a service. In a church our size, that kind of announcement shouldn't need to be made three times in a row. Uh, you heard, if you read the announcements this week, you heard we had 36 people show up for ESL. You would think that kind of response, uh, that there would be an overflow of people wanting to serve, wanting to respond, wanting to jump in, and yet we still are short a couple people. Those are, those are needs that are right in front of us right now. And so if you are... Uh, if you call Grace Baptist Church home and you haven't found a place to serve yet, I would just say, we need you. It, it is part of how God blesses us so that we can be a blessing to others. How we can allow our own lives to be a channel of grace that we might uh, be used of God and minister uh, for God in the place that God has placed us. Now, the next lesson in this passage comes as the prisoners open up about what's troubling them. Put yourself in Joseph's shoes as you hear verse 8. It says, they said to him, we have had dreams and there's no one to interpret them. If you're Joseph, what are you thinking? If I was Joseph, I was thinking, you're, you're, you're troubled. Um, I can see your faces are downcast. I was kind of hoping that you might need an extra pillow or a blanket. Like, when I hear that you've got dreams that need to be interpreted, I'm thinking, dreams have only ever gotten me in trouble so far in my life. The last time I announced dreams to the people around me, they tried to kill me, then they threw me in a pit and sold me into slavery. I'm really not looking to to mess with dreams ever again, thank you very much. And, and, And besides that, you know, I've had these dreams that caused me nothing but trouble, and frankly, I haven't seen anything come true. Like nothing's come of the dreams that I've seen. So how am I going to go in interpreting your... I just don't want to have anything to do with it, right? That, that's what would be going through my mind if, if I heard that. And as you realize and you think about this, you realize this is a test for Joseph. In the very same way that he faced a test with regard to sexual temptation in chapter 39... Chapter 40, he faces a test of faith. Having been forced to wait, will he still trust God? Will he still trust in God's word? Will he still believe that God is faithful? And it's the second question that we're forced to face when we are made to wait. And the the question is this, when your dreams don't come true, will you still trust the dream maker? Will, will difficulties along the way cause you to doubt the God who has called you? Will it cause you to doubt his word, what he said, what he's revealed? I, I can say from uh, just uh, looking at this, as, as, as you think of, uh, of the challenges that Joseph has been through, it would have been so easy to turn your back on these people walk out of the cell and said, I'm done. I've had it with this. And yet, he passes the test. He says, I, I, I still trust in God's word. I still trust in what he said. 
I still believe his promises. God's word stands and God's people stand on it. And, and we are encouraged to follow in his footsteps, to respond likewise in, in some of those tests that we face when we are asked about uh, asked whether we still believe, whether we still can stand. Now, starting in verse 9, the cupbearer tells Joseph his dream. And uh, it's a good one. It's uh, a dream. Uh, he has his dream about a vine with three branches. And basically, these branches uh, bud, they blossom, they turn into clusters of grapes, seemingly like all at once. Uh, we are seeing the entire... Uh, uh, ripening and harvesting process take place right before him. And then the grapes, he, he immediately turns them, uh, crushes them, they turn into, it, it makes, makes wine on the spot, serves Pharaoh. And Joseph says with confidence and conviction, three days you are going to be restored to your position serving Pharaoh once again. Again, Remind yourself how difficult it would be to say that with any kind of conviction. He's been waiting years already for his dreams to come true. If in three days this man is not promoted, he's a fraud. His whole standing in in his reputation is shot. He is shown to be a failure. And yet, he states it with conviction. The second dream is even more interesting. In verse 16, it says the baker wanted, waited to tell his dream. So he was waiting to find out, the other guy, was he going to get a good dream or a bad dream? Is the interpretation going to be you know, good news or bad news? He finds out it's good news. He says, well, in that case, I'll tell you my dream. In this case, the baker's dream, he's balancing three baskets of of bread on his head, and the birds are eating from the basket on top. It's like something out of an Alfred Hitchcock movie or Stephen King. Like this is this is kind of a a, a weird psychedelic and horrific picture that that he has had in his dream. And again, we have to pause to just put ourselves in Joseph's shoes. What are you thinking when you hear this dream and you know the interpretation? What are you thinking as you think back to how people, how he has experienced people respond when they don't like the message of a dream? He, he's already been on the receiving end of his brother's hatred and attempted murder plot for the message of the dream that they didn't like. He's now before a powerful person going to tell him a dream that basically is saying, your head's coming off in three days. If if I was hearing this dream from from the baker at this point, I'd be thinking, wow, now this one's really got me stumped. Three three baskets of birds. You know, it's just too complicated. I I have no idea what this means. Like you'd want to pull back and say, I I just, I don't get it. I, I, I don't want to get into this. And yet, he gives the interpretation plainly, confidently, and speaks truth into the man's life. 
And it is a challenge to all of us. Anyone here find yourself, maybe if you look back to when you, when you first were excited about the Lord, first excited about his good news, first trusting in him and feeling the excitement of him having forgiven you, maybe at that time you shared your faith with joy and boldness and confidence. But along the way, you get some negative responses. People aren't as excited about the good news as you thought they would be. People don't respond as easily as you thought they would be. You realize some relationships have been strained. And, frankly, it's made you a little gun-shy. You kind of want to just keep this good news to yourself. Enjoy it for you, but not really share it with anyone else. I think we can all feel that. And in a sense, those are all questions of, uh, of, of our faith. Do we really believe that this is good news for all people? Do we really believe that all people need this hope and salvation that is held out in Jesus Christ alone? Maybe the wait has been so long in your life that you have started to ask some doubts. You've started to doubt the dreams, to doubt the dream maker, to doubt the promises that he has made, uh, to, uh, to, to doubt what he's doing in your life, uh, to doubt what his purposes might be. As a missionary in Japan, I found myself often questioning my call. Did, did I get this right? Did, did I understand you correctly? Do you, do you know what you're doing here, Lord? Are you even listening to me? You, you begin to ask those questions. You begin to, to, to search your heart and your mind and your relationship with the Lord. And, and there are some times when we do get it wrong. Our dreams don't always line up with God's purposes. Sometimes we make assumptions about what he wants and what he is going to do. Sometimes we, we, we just impose our own will and call it God's will. But often, God's just calling us to wait. God's often just teaching us patience. God is often teaching us dependence upon him, trying to nurture faith and confidence in him and his power. And we're invited to respond. We're invited to trust him, to look to him in the midst of those challenges. Now, it feels at this point as if Joseph's surely learned all his lessons. He's got it, right? And you would think the test is over. But, in fact, the, the biggest challenge is still to come. Two verses are positioned in the center of the chapter in between the two dreams. And those, they're, they're positioned there deliberately to say, this is uh, the center of this story. This is the emotional heart. Uh, this is uh, where I, I want you to feel the, the impact of this. And I'm just going to read them for you in verses 14 and 15. Only remember me when it is well with you, 
and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I've done nothing that they should put me into the pit. Hear this as an emotional plea. It's a personal plea. He appeals to his innocence. He's been torn from his people. He's done nothing to deserve this injustice. And when he says, please do me the kindness, he uses the Hebrew word hesed. It's probably the most important word in the entire Old Testament. It's a word that speaks of God's commitment love. It speaks of his covenant love, his commitment to his people. Here, when, when Joseph's saying this, he's essentially saying, I've done this for you. Surely you owe me. Surely you are obligated to show me this kindness, this love. All I ask is that you remember me and mention me to Pharaoh. And they say that men don't like to ask for directions. Don't like to show their weakness and their vulner- vulnerabilities. Here... <clears throat> Joseph is putting it out there <clears throat> and saying, essentially, I need your help. Please remember me. And again, Joseph has to wait. Three long days of waiting. And at the end of the three days is when it all happens. This is when it all finally comes together for Joseph. The cupbearer, He gets a call. There's been a celebration. Pharaoh has has called a celebration. The cupbearer is indeed promoted and restored to his position, just as Joseph said. The baker faces his end. He is is hanged, just as Joseph said. Everything has come together, and now the cupbearer is going to mention Joseph to Pharaoh, it's all going to work out. It's all going to come together. Finally, the waiting can come to an end as soon as that call comes. But it never comes. He's still waiting. What about the remember me part? And then you get to the end of the chapter, and it just ends in verse 23 with those words, yet the chief cupbearer, did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. And it's here that Joseph faces his hardest test. And it's here that you and I face our hardest tests when we are in the midst of those times of waiting and disappointment. And the question is this, when people forget you, will you still believe that God remembers you? Will you still trust in him in the midst of human disappointment and disregard? Because the chief cupbearer forgot Joseph, it feels like God has forgotten Joseph. It feels like God has abandoned him. God has rejected him. And and we're, we're feeling all of those things that Joseph is feeling here. For those of you who know the rest of the story, you know it's too soon for Joseph to get out of prison yet. We know that if, if God had, had, had intervened here and, and enabled this uh, 
cupbearer, ungrateful as he was to remember Joseph at this moment, maybe Joseph would get a medal or something. Maybe he'd get a nice letter from Pharaoh saying, well, that, that was a neat trick. But the fact is, Pharaoh isn't in crisis right now. Pharaoh isn't troubled by any dreams right now. Pharaoh isn't in a position to reward and recognize and elevate Joseph to the position that we know he needs to be in to bring deliverance to uh, the people uh, as famine will hit. We know it's too soon. But for Joseph, it already feels like years too late. Too much waiting. Too long. What are you doing? And the only way that Joseph will get through this is if he believes in the face of people who have forgotten him, circumstances that have let him down, will he choose to believe that God still remembers him? Because God does remember him, he just doesn't feel like it right now. And that's the only way that any of us get through our circumstances. It's the only way that you cope with the trauma of, of, of toxic relationships and, and difficulties that you've grown up with. That's the only way that you cope with long, hard years of a painful marriage or relationship. It's the only way that you deal with, with long, hard challenges to, uh, to your health or the circumstances of your life. It's the only way that Ovid, you and Liliana deal with what will almost certainly be long periods of waiting, disappointment, frustration, obstacle. Believing with conviction that God remembers you, that he, is hold, he holds you, he comes to you, he leads you, and he has not forgotten you. Now, some of you have a vague expectation that God should remember you. But you've never actually responded to his invitation to become his child. And so, in one sense, you are expecting his nearness while you are holding him off at arm's length. And so, if you have never become his child through faith in his son, then, then come to him. He is the God who longs to be near to us but he cannot be near to us when we close the door on him. So invite him in. But if you have invited him in this morning, then don't ever doubt his love for you. Don't ever doubt the fact that he remembers you. Don't ever doubt his nearness, his care, his love, his hesed love, his faithfulness to you. Isaiah 49.15 speaks into a time of Israel where they may have been tempted to doubt that love, doubt that God remembered, doubt that God still cared. It says, Can a woman forget her nursing child, that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. He hasn't forgotten you. He can't forget you. He won't forget you. If you believe that, you can still be a blessing even when you're not feeling blessed. 
If you believe that, you can look to the needs of the people around you. You can serve with confidence, with a, a sense of calling, even when you don't see what God is doing in your own life. If you believe that, you can seek to be the answer to someone else's prayer, even when you're waiting on your own to be answered. If you believe that God hasn't forgotten you, you can still trust the dream maker, even when your dreams don't come true. If Joseph couldn't imagine, and certainly he couldn't, there's no way that Joseph could see the path that his life would take. There's no way that he could see the path between the dream he received and the fulfillment of it at, in, in Pharaoh's court. He, he could never have dreamed the ups and downs that that life would take and see that God's plan in the midst of all, it was, all of it was good. And if Joseph couldn't see that, surely we, we can't see what God is doing in our own lives. So often we don't understand but we can trust with conviction in his goodness. We can believe in the plan even when we don't see it because we have been called to be a people of faith, to follow where he leads, to trust in his word, to hold on to it as our confidence. And because we have that confidence, we can share good news with hope, with joy. We can hold out the message of the gospel to those around us and believe that it is the hope that everyone needs. To believe that we have a savior who redeems people, who sets them free. And so let's hold out that word with confidence. Let's seek to be a blessing to the people that God has placed us around. Let's seek the welfare of the city. Let's seek to be the people whom God has called us to be. Let's look to him now in prayer. Oh, Father in heaven, the disappointments of life make it so hard to hope. So give us the strength to wait on you. Help us to serve others in our struggles. Help us to look to others when we're tempted to just focus on ourselves. Give us the confidence to trust in what you're doing. And give us the courage to point others to you. We look forward to the day when your glorious plan will be revealed in all its brilliance. Where we'll revel in your love and wisdom for all eternity. And we thank you for it in advance. As we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.